Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group's pastor, John Shaw. Good morning, Northridge. That was good, man. Summer's almost over. People are returning. I love this. It's good to see your beautiful faces today. Hey, last week, if you were here in the closing, um, I mentioned something called the Grandparenting Seminar. And uh, this is something I'm really excited about. So I just want to show you something from the guy who's going to be leading it. This was one of my professors at uh, Johnson. um, And he's just going to tell us a little bit more about it. So check this video out. Hey, Northridge, I'm David Wheeler, and this is Cole, one of my five grandkids. And if you're a grandparent, great-grandparent, know you'll be a grandparent in the next few years, or someone's favorite aunt or uncle, please, please reserve Saturday, September 24th. That's when I'll be coming to Northridge to present the Grandparenting Matters Seminar. In 2018, when Kath and I attended this seminar, it changed our grandparenting world. Because we're, we're all concerned about the world in which our grandkids are growing up. It's hostile to their faith. They're not receiving as much Christian input as previous generations. So this isn't just about how to be a cool grandparent and get your grandkids to love you more. We already know how to do that. Now, this is about being an intentional missionary in the lives of our grandkids for the sake of Christ, passing on a heritage of faith to future generations. So at the beginning of the seminar, we'll talk about what the Bible has to say about our role as grandparents. You're going to be amazed at how much is in there. We'll talk about some of the barriers that we often face, geographical, relational, spiritual, will make you aware of some amazing resources that are being developed. And we'll end the time together by talking about the eight best practices of intentional Christian grandparents. It's really a fun experience, a lot of action, interactivity and participation, a lot of visuals. Registration information will be available soon. And this isn't just for Northridge folks. Any grandparents in that area are welcome to share the day with us. So, Saturday, September 24th, I look forward to meeting you as we talk about how to be intentional Christian grandparents. Now, we just want to be a resource to you, and this is going to be an amazing resource, because we know we have a lot of grandparents in this room that just don't know what to do and how to be uh, that person in their grandkids' lives. And so I'm excited. I think it's going to be great. Uh, my in-laws' uh, church is actually, they go to a mega church in Colorado, and their church is actually doing this. They're charging 50 bucks, and it's a two-day affair. So we're doing it for 15 bucks, and we're just doing it in an afternoon. They're packing it all in an afternoon for you. So like, we are really making sure that it's worth your time. Um, so if you want to come, sign up. You got the papers on the, your chairs. You can scan that QR code, all that. So, how many bald guys do I have in the room? I'm going to call you out. How many baldies we got? Yeah, there we go. Be proud, loud and proud. I love it. Yeah. I have a story for you today, um, one that you are going to be using often uh, from now on out, I bet. Uh, if you want to go ahead and start opening your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Kings 2. Um, but for you baldies out there, can you believe that I actually was there once? You, you want to see a picture? 
Yeah. So the first picture I'm going to show you, actually, this is not quite bald yet, but this is the picture that made me realize that something was going on up there that was not great um, and that I need to do something about it. And then COVID hit. And in COVID, when nobody sees you, you can try stuff, right? So in COVID, I tried this. That's me. I promise you, that's, that's the same guy right here. Same, same guy right here. That's me. Yeah. Do you like it? Yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah. My wife liked it. I, I wasn't a big fan. Um, and it's actually like a lot of work. Like if you want to do the full ball thing, you got to shave like every day. I didn't have time for that. So I looked into some things. I got some uh, hair growth stuff. And here we are today, beautiful mane, you know all that. But this will help you appreciate the story that we're going to tell today. 2 Kings 2, 23 through 25. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and he was walking along the road, and some boys came out of the town, and they jeered him. Get out of here, Baldi, they said. Get out of here. He turned around and looked at them, and he called a curse down on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. And then he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there returned to Syria. Like, that's a crazy story, right? Some of you are new to Northridge today, and you're like, what in the world did I get myself into? Like, this was not in my children's Bible. Like, it should be, right? You got fuzzy animals, you got children, right? It should be in there right now. This is, this is one of those crazy stories that makes you wonder, like, what is going on? But when Adam said that we're doing these crazy Bible stories and, and I could pick, this is where my mind went immediately for a lot of different reasons. Um, but first, the main reason that I picked this is if you were to Google this passage, uh, a lot of the things that are going to come up are atheist pointing out, man, look at this Christian God. He's so petty. He's so violent. He's so mean. He's so evil. And as we're going to see, that really isn't the case at all. But beyond that, there's a lot of important theological things that we can take from this story that really are applicable to us today. And in fact, when we see stories like this in the Bible that make us go, huh? What's going on? These are the ones that that you shouldn't ignore, Uh, and dismiss it. Like even those really long, boring sections, you know, you start at the beginning of the Bible and you start reading through, it's, oh, cool, this is kind of cool history and stuff. And then you get to this part where it's talking about you have boils and what to do if your house has like mold and stuff. And then you keep reading and then you get to this part where it's all these names. You're like, what is going on? And you just give up reading, right? Even those parts are important. They help us understand the context of the Bible. They're really important. But if you're new to the Christian faith, if you're new to following Jesus, don't start there. Okay, start with Jesus. Maybe the the Gospel of John. Read uh, Luke and Acts. And then then maybe read some of the stories to the churches. And then once you get kind of a foundation under you, then you can go back and kind of read some of these things. And, And even then, maybe get a reading plan where you bounce around. One of my favorite reading plans, it has you reading in four different places in the Bible. So even when you're reading part of the parts where it's name after name after name, you don't get bogged down. Um, but when you start at the beginning of the Bible and you just kind of read through, it, it can be tough. Uh, so my tiny soapbox is read your Bible. Like, it's all important. All of it is important. And, and even more than that, be a part of a community group. When you come across these passages that, that you really don't understand, like, you can go to your community group and be like, hey, I read this, and I have no idea what it means. And they can kind of help you sort that out. But as we talk about this specific text... Let me give you a very basic, very important uh, Bible reading tip. Never read a passage like this 
by itself alone without reading the context of what's around it. Because if you don't know what is happening, you're never going to understand this. So we're going to go back up to the beginning of chapter 2. And I'm going to actually summarize this for you uh, because you would be really bored if I just read you this passage. Um, But if you want to read and make sure that I'm staying true to the text, go right ahead. So beginning this, you have Elijah and Elisha. Kind of confusing. So here's a really easy thing. They're alphabetical. J becomes before S. So Elijah comes before Elisha. Keep that in mind. The text gives us a little bit of a a, uh, spoiler. tells us in verse 1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven. So we know what's coming, okay? So... And we know that they're going from Gilgal to Bethel. Now, Elijah tells Elisha, hey, it's a long walk. You don't need to go. Why don't you just stay here? Elisha's like, no way. I'm going with you. They get to Bethel, um, and some prophets come out of the town. And they're like, hey, Elisha, you know your master's going to be taken away from you today, right? He's like, shut up. I know. Be quiet. And so they go on, and, and then Elijah decides to go on to Jericho. And he's like, Elisha, stay here. Elisha's like, no way. I'm going with you. And they they go, they get to Jericho. Some prophets come out of the town like, hey, Elisha, you know your master's going to be taken from you. He's like, I know, shut up, be quiet. And and then they decide to go to the Jordan River. Elijah says, same thing, stay here, Elisha, no need for you to go. Elisha, I'm going, just stop. And so they get to the Jordan. Elijah takes his jacket and he hits this this river, the river parts, and, and they walk across. When they get across the other side, Elijah says to Elisha, hey, what do you want from me? Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Elijah's like, well, that's kind of a big deal. I can't, can't promise you that. But if, if you see me go up to heaven, then you can have it. So then we get this crazy vision. We have this, this whirlwind of fire with the chariots coming down, and it picks up Elijah, and it takes him to heaven, and, and Elijah's jacket falls to the ground. Elisha picks up the jacket. He goes to the river, and, and he hits it, and it parts. He has the spirit of God in him now. He crosses over, and some prophets that had come out of Jericho are there, and they bow down to him, basically saying, we we now know that you are taking over for Elijah. And so then they say, hey, can we go look for Elijah? Elisha's like, no, there's no need for you to look for him. They beg and beg, and finally Elisha's like, okay, fine, Go, go look for Elijah. And so they go look for three days. They finally come back to Jericho, like, oh, we couldn't find him. It's like, duh. I told you, why didn't you listen to me? And so then we get this story, well, not quite there yet. And so then uh, they're like, hey, the water's bad here in Jericho. So he takes some salt and he throws it in the water. Bam, it's better. And he changes the water. And then he continues it on to Bethel. He's basically retracing the steps of where he came. And so he goes back to Bethel, and that's where we see the story. Some boys come out of the town, uh, they, they say, hey, Baldy, and he calls down curse, bears come out, malls, 42 of them, and then unfazed, it seems, he just moves on, on his way. Now, I don't know about you, but I have some questions, right? Like, do you have questions? Like, that's a good thing. Like, some people say you should never question the Bible. That's not true. Uh, what I'm talking about, we're not questioning the authority of the Bible. We're not questioning whether this is from God. What we're questioning is, what is the purpose of this story in the context of, of the, the grander scheme of things? So our task is not to gloss over a story that doesn't make sense to us. Our task is not to explain it away. Although, as we'll see in a second, this one is pretty explainable. Our task 
is to understand its meaning and value to the larger narrative. Now, some of the questions I have, I don't know if you do, is why are there at least 42 boys hanging out? All right, there could be more, right? The, the Bears says mauled 42, there could have been more. Another question I have, and I don't have an answer for this, is if you were, say, boy number 10 or 11, like, are you not faster than all these other boys that you can't outrun them? Why, why are 42 of them being mauled? Like, why, why stick around to be number 42? Like, like, that's crazy to me. Were they all slow runners? Do they think they could fight a bear? I don't know. I don't know. Did any of you actually open up your Bible and read this verse in a different translation? If you did, you might have some even greater questions. Because some of the older translations actually say young children or young boys. And like that's kind of, that makes this story even weirder or, or even like appalling to us. Um, but that, let me just clear this up really fast. Is, is this term children? It, it, the, the, ver, the word here used in Hebrew is actually a pretty broad word. And it can mean young children. It often does mean young children. Um, but sometimes it also uh, means children or kids as young as, or as old as 17, 18, um, of military age. And so this term is kind of broad. And so what we're talking about is not a band of like 10-year-olds like hanging out. Like, like, it reminds me of a story. We were coming back from Savannah for our church conference this beginning of this year. And Colby, you guys remember Colby is our last youth pastor. You would ask these weird questions. And he said, do you think you could take more or less than 20 four, four or five-year-olds if they're all attacking you at the same time and you couldn't hurt them, right? You think you could take more or less than 20? And your godly, super spiritual, super loving lead pastor, Adam, immediately said more. I don't know about you, I've been on Laura's side in the elementary with these kindergartners and first graders. I don't know if I could take more than 20 of them. Like, they're pretty crazy. Uh, eventually, we, we wound up where Adam's, his number is 50. Adam thinks he can take on about 50 kindergartner first graders. So, all hail Adam, the kindergartner slayer. But we're not talking about little children like that. What we're talking about are teenagers. Like, we got our teen section over here, mostly little girls right now. Where's, where's the rest of them? Come on. This is our teen section, middle school, high schooler. Come sit over here. And it's going to be awesome every week. But let me ask you this. Have you ever been out walking at night, like walk through a park or something, and you see a group of teenagers just hanging out, being no good, and not having a little bit of fear for your life? Like, I have. Like, when you see a group of 42, at least 42 teenagers, I might need some bears to back me up, right? They're, they're a little bit scary sometimes. And they're, who knows, there could have been more. And what they're saying is, go up baldy. Literally translated, it says more of go up baldy, which can mean either two things, either go up and die, or show us that you have the power that Elijah did and go up to heaven and prove it. So either way, it's not great. But still, this is kind of concerning to us, right? Seems a little harsh. But sometimes God and his leaders have acted harshly in order to impress the seriousness of life and the word of God. I mean, you can think in the New Testament of Ananias and Sapphira. But whenever you read something 
like this, and you, you question this. Doesn't, this seems violent. This doesn't seem like the nature of God. Here's the thing that you have to remember, and it's my very first point. You can trust this story. You can trust this story. This Bible was written over 1,600 years by, with 66 books by over 40 different authors. And yet the story is completely cohesive and it blends together and it has one overarching story. And, and so what, and the archeology, span like, like I could go on about this all day. The archeology span of it backs it up every single time. What is said in here is backed up over and over and over again in the text and the manuscripts. No other book in the world, no other ancient manuscript in the world has what the Bible has in regards to the, the numbers of, of manuscripts that are old. So what we have is authentic, and what we are entering into is a story in progress. The story is playing out, is, is takes us through today, is the story of God's plan, the story of God at work to bring people into and back to relationship with Him. In the end, this whole book, all of it, is about Jesus. Jesus tells us this himself in Luke 24, uh, 25 through 27. Jesus is risen from the dead and he appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he says to them, how foolish are you? How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and, and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. See, throughout the Old Testament, that story was focused on restoration. See, the story starts where, where God created them in the garden. He created them to, to be in relationship with him, to love him, and, and to be with him. And he created them with the, the ability to know, and he gave them to, the option to love him forever or not. And they chose not. And so judgment begins. And from the story of Adam and Eve, you, you see these curses on, on them and there. And you get to Noah and his salvation through the flood and the Tower of the Babel and God's judgment on them to the promise of Abraham and God's many promises. These stories in the Bible, all stories of God's salvation. There's always judgment coming because of wrongdoing and everyone would be judged except except for God in his great mercy and grace is going to save people. And this is the good news of the Bible. Ultimately, the reason we're all here today. So every story that you read in the Bible is going to be a story about salvation. Now, the story in the Old Testament is, comes through us in general through, through blessings and curses. It's the promise of blessing. If you do these things, you will have good things. If you don't do it, you will have this curse. And so you see the curse of the land and, the, and of toil and childbirth. You see the, the curse of, of the flood and you see the curse of these. It's always coming, promise of blessings and the curse. Promise of blessings, people go after the blessing, they disbelieve the curse and they get judged. And there's judgment and there has to be salvation. And here's the good thing. We see this in the story of Elisha, he comes back to Jericho. And there's a curse on Jericho. When, when Jericho is taken over by Joshua, and he says, cursed is the city, and anybody who puts up these walls, and, and, and it was, and the water was cursed, and Elisha removes that curse and blesses the city. But then he gets to, to Bethel, and children come out, and they mock him, 
and he curses them. So blessings, curses, blessing, curses. But here's the good news. All of this, all of this points to Jesus. Like how in the world does this story that we're talking about today point to Jesus? Well, when you look at the, the figure of Elisha, there are quite a few things that are very similar to Jesus. They both have very similar names. Uh, Elisha's name means God saves. Yeshua, th th that's Jesus. We kind of anglicize Yeshua, but Yeshua means to deliver, to save. Both Elisha and Jesus are preceded by an Elijah or somebody like Elijah. In, in Jesus' case, it was John the Baptist. You, you recall when the disciples come down from the, the Mount of Transfiguration and, and they had seen Moses and Elijah and, and they, they have this question for Jesus. He said, the disciples asked him, what? When do the teachers of the law and Elijah say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But to be sure, oh, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they've done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So there's this great similarity between Elijah and John the Baptist. And remember how Elisha got a double spirit, double portion of the spirit uh, from Elijah. Well, in the same way, what did John the Baptist say? He said, there is one greater than me coming after me. And Jesus gets more than a double portion than John the Baptist. They both, both Elijah or Elisha and Jesus uh, cleanse lepers. They both multiply food. They raise dead sons and give them back to their mothers. They both make something float, whether that's a piece of iron or themselves. They, they both have greedy disciples. Uh, they, they both cause people to run out of their tombs. There's all sorts of these similarities. And maybe if you have one or two of these, oh, sure, it's just a coincidence. When you have them um, over and over and over again, you can see it's a story. There's a pattern coming. But really what you need to know it's how Jesus broke the pattern. See, Jesus fulfilled the story. Jesus fulfilled the story. When Jesus came back, he broke the pattern of the Old Testament curses and judgment. And when he encountered the children, he said, let the children come to me, not let the bears come to the children, right? He took the curse upon himself and he allowed himself to be torn so that we may have life. You see this in Galatians 3, 13 through 14. Because you and I live in the best part of the story. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith you might receive the promise of the Spirit. I love that. This is such good news. There is no more blessings, curses, blessings, curses. No, God has dissolved all curses in the person of Jesus Christ. On the cross, he obliterated them so that you, by faith, are freed from all of that. Your adoption into the family of God brought about the promise of the story that you can have eternal life, that you can have the blessings of living in eternity, perfect unity with the creator, and that salvation here is assured, and you don't have to worry about bears coming out and mauling you. But do you know the best part? You are a part of the story. You are a part of the story now, just like Elijah was, was like John the Baptist, heralding something new to come. Jesus does the same thing for us. He paves the path and he hands off the mantle 
to us. John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Like, that's crazy, isn't it? You and I are going to do greater things than the Son of God. How is that even possible? That doesn't even make sense. How, how are we going to do it? The Spirit. He's already given us what we need. He has given us all that we need to do these things. In fact, Elisha's call even gives us insight to our own call. This is back in 1 Kings 19. But Elijah is just walking by, and God has told Elijah to call Elisha. And he comes and put his cloak on Elisha's shoulders. And immediately, Elisha knows. Like, this is, this is a calling by God. And so he leaves everything, which is kind of a big deal because we see that Elisha has 12 yoke of oxen. Like, that would be like today having like five combines. Like, this was a rich family. He's giving up a lot to follow Elisha. And so he asks, he asks Elijah if he can go say goodbye to his parents. Now, Jesus, when, when a disciple asked him that, said no. But Elijah, I love this. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Elijah says to him, go ahead, because I have completely ruined your life. Elijah realizes what he's doing to this poor guy, and he says, go, go say goodbye to your parents for what I have done to you. And Jesus says this to us, for you and I, Christ has ruined our lives in all the best ways and also all the hardest ways. He, he has freed us from our past, and he's, he's broken us away from all the sins and, and that we have done, and he's brought us about to, to, to new life but that also places a responsibility on us to continue the work that Jesus started. He has given us the Holy Spirit to walk alongside us and in us and empowers us, and yet so often we sit on our hands and do nothing because we think we have nothing to offer. And Jesus is saying, no, I have given you my spirit. Now go and do greater things than me. So the question you need to ask yourself is, is if I've been given the spirit that Jesus has promised, what am I going to do with it? What are the greater things I'm going to do? And here's our sermon in a sentence. We are a part of the story. Let's make it worth one telling. We are a part of the story, so let's make it worth one telling. And man, I mean, hopefully our story doesn't include bears mauling people, but I hope it's a story where, God can, where people can see God's work in, li- in your life and they change, that, that you make heaven a more crowded place. So as I close, I just, I want to challenge the believers in this room. For those of you that, that say, yes, I love Jesus, I love him, but you haven't yet allowed him to ruin your life yet. I want to challenge you to pray that hard prayer that each of us needs to pray. What would you have me do? How would you have me reach this world? Some of you in this room may need to go into ministry. The world is in desperate need of godly people to lead its church. And some of you need to give up good jobs because you are an awesome follower who know good things. Some of you might need to give it all up, just just like the missionaries that we heard from a couple weeks ago that went to Nepal 
where they had everything and they realized it wasn't making them happy. And they gave it all up. And now they have seven children in an orphanage and they're caring for thousands of people. Some of you might just need to make a ton of money and give it all away. Sacrificially. Some of you just need to walk across the room and talk to somebody. Or go across the street and invite your neighbor to dinner. Some of you need to serve with our youth and pour into and invest in the next generation. And maybe you need to serve on one of these halls so the kids know how much Jesus loves them. Some of you, all of us, need to do something because we have the spirit of Jesus inside of us. And we are going to do greater things than him. Let's pray. God, the promise of your spirit is so incredible. And so we pray right now that you show us the hard things that you would have us do. Whether that's going to the other side of the world, God, if that's speaking to our neighbor, if that's reconciling with other believers, God, whatever it is you may have called us to do, God, put that on our heart right now. We know already that you have given us the power to do those things. So God, we pray that you overcome those fears that are overwhelming us right now. God, that you will challenge us to do something even greater than we could ever imagine. But God, we pray that you use us in this world for your kingdom right here, right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.